Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And then we'll look at two of the, the catechism questions along with this. Matthew chapter 6, this is the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. And let's pray indeed. Father, hearing your word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear in these next few moments together uh, to, to grasp and understand what, it, what our Lord has said there about prayer. And um, so help us in these next few moments and that you may even now be softening our hearts to receive the good seed of your word that it will bear fruit in our lives and we pray this in jesus mighty name and all god's people said amen catechism question 105 what is prayer let's say these words together prayer is an offering up of desires to god by the assistance of the holy spirit for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgments of his mercies. And question 106, what rule hath God given for our direction in prayer? And we say, the whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction is that prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. So we're looking at prayer today and tomorrow. And in particular, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And actually, we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer mostly tomorrow, or excuse me, next week, next Sunday. <clears throat> I'm not ready if it was tomorrow. I, would be, I could pull it off. Um, <laughs> But prayer, what is prayer? Um, prayer, I love this title from John Calvin's chapter on prayer in the Institutes of the Christian Faith. This is his title. Prayer, which is the chief exercise of faith. If, you were to, if somebody were to ask you, what's the chief, what is the chief exercise or practice of the Christian faith? What's the kind of the main thing? If you could put one thing above all else, what would you say? Would it be singing? Would it be worship? Would it be, what would it be? Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And enjoy him forever. Oh, you got the, the Westminster Confession, the first question. I like what John Calvin says here. The chief exercise of faith is prayer. And he continues, it says, and by which we daily receive God's benefits. Remember, in these last uh, 
several weeks, we've looked at the means of grace, the means that God has given us by which we can, he can communicate his grace to us in the world today. And we saw those are the, his word. We saw the sacraments like uh, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we conclude with prayer, prayer. So today I'm going to look at basically in three parts, we're going to look at prayer. We're just kind of kind of do a general uh, a general overview at first of prayer. And then part two, we'll look at Jesus's principles on prayer that we just read in Matthew chapter five. And then at the end, I want to give you just kind of a simple way to pray. So let's begin prayer, a general overview. What is prayer? Well, our Baptist catechism there says prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. It is basically, as Charles Hodge put it, is it is the converse of the soul with God. Your soul's conversation with the creator of the universe. That's what prayer is. It's just offering up our desires to God. And that is to be done with thanksgiving. And, or the, the, our confessional statement says it is prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship is required of all men. One scripture passage that's given to cite this. I mean, you could look all through the Bible and see prayer everywhere in the Bible. But I like Psalm 5, the first three verses, where it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And if you were at this passage, you could see there's a footnote that says it could be read a little bit differently. It could be read, in the morning... I direct my prayer to you. Let's look at a couple of New Testament terms for prayer that are used. There's lots of terms here, and it's not that they're all different types of prayer. It's just kind of like various terms to describe prayer from many different uh, aspects or dimensions. Here, here's one. Uh, prosukomai means to, this is the verb, to pray or to entreat. This is kind of the general term for prayer. And it's a, it's a technical term for calling on a deity in particular. So it's not a prayer for like general requests that you would make to other person. This would be an entreaty or prayer to God. 87 times it occurs. The noun occurs 37 times. Here's another one. I, I, I ato. No, it sounds like you're going to eat something. But uh, aito is to ask for or to make a request. It's expensive. The particular aspect here is expressing your desire or want. Deomai is another one. That's another one. It's to, to beseech or to request. And this is a, an emphasis on, on our need. You're lacking something, and so you're making a request to, to get something. Or uh, deesis or deasis is the, the noun related to that. There's uh, erotao which is to ask a question. There's an uh, enticano, which is to intercede. 
Entuxis would be the noun form of that. It would be intercession. And then you could add to that one term that we looked at some a little bit ago when we were talking about the Lord's Supper, and that's uh, eucharisteo, or that's the verb form, or uh, eucharist, uh, eucharistia, which is a thanksgiving, or to give thanks. Because usually it's associated with prayer. When you're praying to God, you express your, your thanksgiving to him. So let me kind of give you a lot of, so it's, it's, you ever done like a word study where you tried to find a word throughout the Bible and try to catch themes and stuff? Prayer is a really tricky one because there's so many different terms that could be used for it. I just gave you a little sampling there. There's a couple of other ones that are used uh, a handful of times. But, but let me give you, uh, give you an idea here. Prayer, entreaty, request, petition, supplication, intercession, thanksgiving, or giving thanks. Think of all of those terms as a, as a collection describing this chief exercise of our faith, and that is prayer or talking to God. I like Philippians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages on prayer, and it's one of the ones that always comes to my mind when I've noticed that prayer is really lacking in my life. And I can tell when prayer is really lacking in my life is when my anxiety starts to tip up. And you want to know if you're, you're, what your prayer life is, is if your anxiety is starting to grow, maybe there's a, there's a connection between your level of anxiety and your prayer. And it's this passage, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where the Apostle Paul says, and, and I like it because it, for a number of reasons, but one, because it captures just that whole handful of those terms all in once. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, there's the prusoke, and supplication, the asis, with thanksgiving eucharista, let your requests, aitama, be made known to God. So what do you do when you're anxious? Are you feeling anxious about something? Whenever I feel anxious, the Lord graciously brings this verse to my mind. Well, don't be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and request, make, let your requests be made known to God. And then I love this because what is the result that comes from this? When you're anxious and then you stop and you turn to the Lord in your anxiety, and it says, and the peace of God. Now, this is not just the peace that God gives. The peace of God could be like, oh, here's peace, but it comes from God. This, I believe, is actually the peace that God himself has. Can you imagine the serenity that God enjoys being the sovereign ruler over all things and in control over everything? That's where I think that this means, because it says in the next verse, which surpasses all understanding. It's not a peace that we could actually attain in any other way except for God giving us to him his peace. And this comes when we turn to him in prayer. And then that peace actually performs a function. This is amazing. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So think of the peace that God himself enjoys. And when you pray, 
and you bring your cares to him, that peace actually acts as a fortress, because that's the term here, guard your hearts. It acts as a fortress uh, or um, a, a castle to guard your heart and your mind. You want to have your heart and your mind completely with a fortress, an armed fortress around it? Well, then bring your anxieties and cares to the Lord in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, and your requests. So that's, that's what prayer is. There's so many different terms that we could use for it, but it's pouring out all of your cares and concerns to God. To whom do we pray? Well, we pray to God and to God only. I know that maybe sound like, duh, uh, you know, in, in this group. But uh, and when I thought about that, when I was thinking through the questions, well, to whom do we pray? Well, we pray to God. And one of the catechism questions in the larger catechism says, who are you to pray? Well, God only is the, is the only one who's able to search people's hearts. He's the only one to hear all the requests. He's the only one who could pardon sins. He's the only one who could fill the desires that we could bring to him. He's the only one that we are to believe in. He's the only one that we are to worship. And so prayer then is to be made to him and to him alone and none other. And I realized, oh, I understand why they stress this so much because this was written shortly after the, the beginning of the Reformation. This, is a, 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 this was explicitly stated because this goes in contrast to what was practiced in the Catholic Church at the time, which was praying to saints or praying to Mary in particular. And I, so I looked into it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is indeed, this is what they're trying to address. This is why they stressed, and who do we pray? Well, we pray to God only, because that was an issue. They were praying to others. And I was like, well, surely, surely the Catholic Church has fixed this. And so I have a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and so I started to look it up. And let me just read to you some quotes. The churches, this is from the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The churches developed their prayer to the Holy Mother of God. Mary is the perfect prayer. They go on to say, and we pray to her. Goes on to say, and we can pray with Mary and to her. They even have, you've heard of, you know, Ave Maria. The Hail Mary, right? Like, that's not just a football play. That, that was an actual prayer that they recite, and it's a prayer to Mary because she's a better prayer than you are. So whom do we pray to? We do not pray to any other but to God himself. And... So the question is, well, we, we worship a triune God. We worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. To whom can we pray then? Well, I would say most, uh, most often prayer is directed to the Father in the Scriptures. And as we, we read here in the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus says to us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. But there are prayers in Scripture that are prayed to Jesus himself. And there are a couple of petitions that are made to the Holy Spirit as well. But generally speaking, the prayer is directed toward the Father through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or as the, the 
Catechism question says, in the name of Christ, and then with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. So how often when you pray, do you think Trinitarianly? Do you pray to the Father? Do you pray in the name of Christ and that and seeking the assistance of the Holy Spirit to pray? So that's how. And then what requests can be made? Well, I like that it says here, things agreeable for things agreeable to his will. Now, this has always kind of troubled me somewhat because I'm thought, well, then do I have to go and do some sort of work to figure out the secret decree or will of God in order for me to pray according to it. I don't think that that's what it's requesting. I think it's just merely stating, don't, don't pray in things that are contrary to what his will is. As we get his revealed will to us in scripture, we can, do, we can pray in accordance with that. And indeed, one of the practices I like to, to do is to actually pray scripture. Because what better way of praying the will of God than to pray scripture itself. Or as it says in our question 106, what rule has God given to direct us in a prayer? He says the whole word of God is to, is to use to direct us in prayer. So we are to pray for things that are agreeable to his will, or as it says in the the confession to be made for all things lawful and for all sorts of men living or that shall live hereafter. We're not to pray for the dead. So those are, I could go uh, on and on about uh, some various aspects of prayer, but I think you get some, the idea here, kind of the generalities of what prayer is. It's offering up our soul to our God to the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for things agreeable to his will. Let me move on now to look at um, Jesus' principles on prayer. Now, if you can see in verse 9, Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer that we pray every week. But before that, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing the three main religious practices. The, the first one was uh, almsgiving, that was the beginning of chapter 6. And beginning in verse 16, he starts to talk about fasting. And in the middle of these, the second of these three major religious practices at that time, he talks about prayer. And he gives, I think, two very clear principles when it comes to pray. Here's the first one. Pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. With genuineness with integrity and truthfulness. This is verses 5 and 6. Here's the, the problem is spelled out in verse 5. The prescription is given in verse 6. Here's the problem. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Okay? Must not be like the hypocrites. The Greek there is hypocrites. Sounds like hypocrites. It's basically... A transliteration right from it. And this is the Greek term for a, a stage player or an actor. And in the Greco-Roman theater, you'd have, uh, and I think this was true all the way up through into even England and Shakespeare times, you'd have one actor that would be playing multiple roles, and the roles, how you can identify them is that they would wear a mask. 
And so that became associated with play acting is you're just putting on a mask. And so when it's used kind of derogatorily of somebody, it's somebody who's a, a, a fraud or a fake. They're putting on a mask. They're just acting that way. And when it's used by Jesus here in a moral or religious context, he's saying this is like a counterfeit or a religious fraud. Jesus says, don't pray like the religious frauds. Many of you could probably think of various religious frauds in Christianity. Well, it's not exclusive to Christianity. It was true in Judaism. Notice it says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. So even in the, the very services there, or in this could be, and I, I had the chance to go to Israel and was to be able to go and walk in uh, various cities in the northern area there and they would have in the streets the main streets and thoroughfares they would meet together and kind of think of it as like downtown section main area and they would have pagan temples little little uh, you know just walk off the side of the road here and there would be like a little pagan temple on the street corners so perhaps this is a reference here um they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners maybe this is so he's addressing the frauds and counterfeits in Judaism and the frauds and counterfeits in the pagan religious systems. Could be that. Or it could be that there were Jews as they were walking through the town and they would come to, when the time of prayer, the fixed time of prayer would come, they would uh, all of a sudden, they just happened to be in town. They just happened to be at the busy intersection. And then they would stop and they would do their prayers. Right? It's kind of like a, a freshman boy who just, you know, deliberately timed his movements to be close to the cute girl at school. You know, like, it, oh, I just, oh, it's funny bumping into you here. Like, they're, to time it, to walk in the busiest parts of the street and to stand there with your prayers. Jesus says, don't be like that. And they do that, why? So that they may be seen by others. And he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's, what is it that you're after in prayer? If prayer really is pouring out your soul to God, you're bringing to him your cares and your concerns, your desire is that he would meet those. Jesus is saying here, they're getting their true reward. They're not really asking for the things that they claim to be asking. What they really want to do is to be recognized by others. And Jesus says, and they get it. And that's all they get. So Jesus says to that, you must not be like that. It's a very strong condemnation. You must not be like that. So he gives the, the prescription here, the remedy in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not condemning public prayer per se. Like he's saying, actually, the only prayer that you should ever do should only be in private and not in public because later on in Matthew, in a couple of places, he prays publicly. The early church prayed publicly when they got together and gathered together. He's not saying that. But he is saying, don't make a show of it. Let your prayer be sincere. Be genuine. Be heartfelt. 
So Jesus says, pray sincerely. And then the second one is pray simply or with simplicity or short, concise, condensed statements and prayers. Verses seven and eight. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Heap up empty phrases. The Greek here this literally could be translated as babbling. Lengthy, long-winded, verbose. And when I was studying that, that term and how it was used, I was like, where, where can we see this today? And then just log on to any clips of certain churches that have uh, prosperity preachers and then all of a sudden start babbling things. Heaping up empty phrases because you think if you just do that, God will really hear you. Jesus says to them, don't, do not be like them. You don't need to add extra phrases. I've often wondered, like, um, how, um, how, how often have you perhaps been discouraged from praying? Because maybe you think that you have to pray a long thing. Like, I'm talking regular fixed prayer times as part of your devotions. Have you ever been discouraged by it because you feel like, oh, I need to sit down and I need to pray for five or ten minutes or whatever? Maybe it could be a little liberating to hear Jesus' words here. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's not saying, well, now, therefore, don't ask. He's saying here, well, you ask. Get to the point. Make it simple. Make it concise. Maybe that might liberate us up to maybe we pray 10 times a day that are two minutes long. As opposed to thinking you need to pray 20 or 30 minutes in prayer. I'm not discouraging that. But how refreshing would that be to know that Jesus is saying, just bring your requests to me. Bring them to me. And he goes on, he goes, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I love this. He's often asked, does prayer change things? Now, keeping that in mind, there's God is the sovereign ruler over all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all things. He is the sovereign. He has the rulers in his hand. You could sit there and you go, well, if that's true, then does prayer really matter? Does prayer really change things? Since God is sovereign, he's everywhere present, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, then what would really be the point in prayer? So sometimes the, um, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the all-powerfulness of God is sometimes then used as justification for way, maybe why we shouldn't pray. I find it very fascinating that that's precisely the reason Jesus gives for praying. Your father knows everything. He knows everything before you even ask it. The omniscience of God is the basis for why you come to him in prayer. So those are the principles that Jesus gives us for, for prayer. Pray sincerely and pray simply. And then lastly, let me just kind of end today. We'll see how far we get here. 
Um, I might have to carry this over into next week. But let me give you a, a simple way to pray. Kind of just a practical exhortation here. Just a simple way to pray. And it's an acronym. ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Four simple parts to prayer. If you've ever really struggled with like what to pray, when to say, what, what to do, let me just kind of give this encouragement to you. Let this be a helpful start for you. Let your prayer begin, and it follows this pattern here. Adoration first, then confessing of our sins, and then thanksgiving, and I should say thanksgiving in particular to the gospel. So you're confessing your sins, and then you're turning around and you're thanking God for what he has done for your sins, and then you bring your requests. I've heard of this one used a couple of times. How many of you have heard this? This breakdown for uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So I started reading along, and I was like, oh, actually, I think there's a lot of people. J.I. Packer says this. The Bible teaches and exemplifies prayer as a fourfold activity to be performed by God's people individually, both in private and in company with each other. Adoration and praise. I was like, oh, that's adoration. I, I didn't know that. Like, I, I was like, oh. Art to be expressed. Confession of sin to be made and forgiveness of Thanks for benefits received to, uh, are to be offered and petitions and supplications for ourselves and others are to be voiced. That's like, oh, J.I. Packard talk. They act there. Okay. And then I was doing a little bit more work and I came to R.C. Sproul and he goes, in, in and through prayer we express our reverence and adoration for God. We bear our souls in contrite confession before him. We pour out the thanksgiving of grateful hearts. And we offer our petitions and supplications. I was like, wow. Okay, maybe there's something to this Acts thing. So Acts, let's go through this. Let's begin with adoration. We begin with addressing God. And here, if you want to add a couple of A's to adoration, here's one. Address, attributes, and actions. Address and think address, think names. Like you're addressing someone. How would you address God? What are his names? What are his titles? And then focus on some attributes of God. Who God is and what God has done. Those would be the actions. So maybe spend your, your time praying at the beginning. You uh, spend time addressing God in worship. Often we begin our prayers, and, and how I'm guilty of this, maybe you do too, we, we go, God, thank you for. How I many that you begin your prayers that way, God, thank you for. And you're jumping to the thanks, or you're jumping to the requests, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but how, what would it be like for us to actually address God and how it would form our prayers if we thought through who he is? We thought through some of his titles and his names. We thought through some of the attributes of God. One of the home groups just went through uh, the attributes of God. What if you were to focus on one of the attributes of God as a way of addressing him and repeating that back to him in prayer? Or his actions. What has he done? In particular, his acts of redemption. So let me give you a, a simple verse to start. And again, here's the kind of the praying scripture part. 
So maybe you could do this, and maybe you could focus on this verse, and then you could grow and develop a whole uh, bunch of collection of verses that could do this. But let me just give you one, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Exodus 34, verse 6. Because remember, this is the passage where the, the Lord reveals himself to, um, to Moses on the mountain. It's one of the passages where the Lord cites it, recites his own name twice. A Lord, a Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So what if you were to, to say, okay, I'm going to work on the adoration part of my praying, and I'm going to take a verse like this, and that's going to be the beginning of my petition, that's good, or the beginning of my prayer. I'm going to address him, and you have some of his attributes, and uh, names right there. O Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Great way to begin a prayer. And you get the idea. There's lots of different prayers or scripture verses that you can recite and use uh, to address God in adoration in worship. The second one is confession. And let me give you a couple of verses to write down. You could use these. One, some of these we use very frequently in our services. First John chapter five, excuse me, first John chapter one. Verses 5 through 10, but in, in particular, verses uh, 8 and 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So maybe you combine these to your prayer. You could go, O Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You, you ask us to come before you to confess our sins, knowing that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you can confess them. Or you could use uh, some penitential psalms. Let me give you some of these to write down. Okay, Psalms 6, 25, 32, 38, 51, 130, or 143. Say those again. 6, 25, 32, 38, 51, 130, 143. 51 might be very familiar. That's the one that David uh, penned after the incident with Bathsheba when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Or Psalm 25 reads like this. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So you could add those as you grow and to expand in the ways that you confess. A great passage is also Daniel chapter 9. And that's a long prayer that Daniel gives. And he's confessing on behalf of the sins of all of Israel as they are in bondage in their, excuse me, as they are in exile in Babylon. 
And that's a wonderful prayer of confession. But begin with adoration and then move to confessing of your sins. And then turn that, your confession, turn it into thanksgiving, especially the gospel, especially the good news. And focus on the work of Christ. Focus on or make mention of or meditate on as you're praying the what's called the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. You can survey the entire life of Christ from his uh, incarnation, his life on earth, to the cross, his death and burial, his resurrection, ascension, and his session in heaven. I'll say those again. His incarnation, life, cross, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and his session seated at the right hand of the Father. So you could pick one. You could mention all of them. But take these truths that the scripture tells us about the life of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who came into the world into human flesh to be like, what, to be like us, according to our nature, fully, to live a perfect life under the law and to yet go to a cross that he does not deserve, that we do, that he was dead and buried and that by the power of God he was raised to life again, vindicated before the Father, and then ascending into heaven and then promising that he's actually the forerunner of the resurrection and our ascension and to be present in God's kingdom forever. So think through that entire framework as you give thanks to him. So you move from wash me, cleanse me from my sins to thank you that through Christ and his death on the cross, I am cleansed from all my sins. And that you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Amen? So take God's words, those truths, and then pray them back to God in thanksgiving to him. And then now you bring your requests and your petitions and your appeals. And you do so through Christ. You do it in Christ's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, time does not permit me to really get into some, but let me, let me kind of, and I'm, I'm working on typing this up and then I maybe will add it as a PDF, as a resource for you to use. Kind of think of it as a list of things that you can pray for in your supplications. If you, if you are just, what are some other things that I can pray for here? Let me, let me just give you some start with the local church, start for your local church. So you can pray for your pastor, uh, plug, put a plug in there. I mean, that, I, I assembled this list and I'm like, well, that kind of weird, but, but no, you could pray for me. Uh, pray for the other leaders of the church. Pray for those Musicians and artists who are leading the service, you could pray for missionaries, you could pray for Dave and Oi. You could pray for all of the other members in, our, in their witness to our community, to neighbors. You could pray for the worldwide church. You could pray for the church's unity. Could use that. For the church's holiness. You could pray for Christian education, Christian schools, colleges, seminaries. And then you can move from praying from the church, this local church, to the 
church universal, now you can pray for those who are not in the church. You can pray for your local government. Um, you can pray for racial strife that might be in the area, poverty, for the employment. You can pray for our nations. You can pray for our courts and for our judges to judge righteously according to God's law. You can pray for our, our leaders, as we'll see in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He calls us to pray for all those who are in positions of authority. You could pray for elections. You could pray for the fairness in elections. You could pray for our military. You could pray for the world. You could pray for what's happening even like right now in France, for war, for injustice, for other governments. You could pray for international organizations. And then you can pray for those with specific needs, those who suffer from physical needs, those who care for them, those who suffer from mental illness and those who care for them, the elderly, those who are abused, those who suffer addiction, victims of crime, homelessness, celebrating of a, the birth of a child, those who are longing for children, those who adopt children, you could pray for those who are working in the home, those who work in medicine, those who work in education, agriculture, government. The list goes on and on and on. And I'll provide that list, and that will give you, hopefully, some helpful things, things that you perhaps neglect in praying for. Maybe you don't think about praying for your local schools. I know I don't. We homeschool. Very tempting for me to go oh, that's their problem but there are those who are in schools that need that prayer you get the idea so you bring your supplications and your requests and your petitions and you inter in your intercessions you're praying for others and that we do so through christ in in his name and that we do so by the power of the holy spirit so friends this is prayer the chief the chief exercise of our faith. And my prayer for all of us is that we would all grow. We would grow in this exercise. That we'd be a praying church that's praying for one another. I love how often we have to break up our, you know, passing the peace time because everybody loves to talk with one another. And, and I love... Uh, I love how everybody is here until like 3.30. When do we people leave? When's the last ones we leave? It's late. Um, and I love it. I love seeing it. Um, and, but maybe, maybe during that time you could, and I know I've seen this before, but maybe you could pray. Is there anything we could pray about? And you could pray sincerely, genuinely pray for, and pray simply. So friends, let's, Let's strengthen our, our prayer. Let's strengthen our efforts in the chief exercise of our faith, shall we? And indeed, let's, let's close in prayer. A gracious Heavenly Father, and as we alluded to earlier in your word, that you are a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We are grateful that you call us, that you call upon your people to call on your name. 
And so we do so through your son, Jesus, and by the spirit that you've placed within us. And we, we confess the ways in which we have neglected prayer in our life. God, we thank you that you do provide help and assistance for us in that. You've given us your word. But more than that, you've given us your spirit to dwell within us. And that we have a direct line to you through your son, Jesus, our Savior, who is seated at your right hand now. And indeed is interceding for us, is our advocate for us, as John wrote in his first epistle. And so we're grateful that he saves us, not to give us a, a stamp that admits us into heaven when we die, not merely that, but that we are now reconciled with you now and we can talk to you and you indeed hear and answer because we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, there's many different petitions and prayer requests that could be made and as you assure us, you know them before we even ask. And so we pray for all of the needs that are here today in this church body. And we pray for the various troubles and difficulties in this world. And we pray that you would continue to grow us and sustain us even in the midst of tribulation and, and troubles and distress. And we'd ask that you help us to to be a praying people that turns to you. And that even in the midst of a troubled world, that your very peace can guard our hearts and minds through your son, Jesus. We thank you for that. And it is in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, will you stand up for our closing, closing benediction? Now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you.